Welcome back, creeps. Hey, y'all. How's everybody's week? How y'all doing? How y'all doing? How's your week been so far? Your first week back from vacation? Um, it's good. Um, I'm sleeping less, and that's okay because I've had it worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it much worse. You're just working your way through Animal Crossing? Yeah, I'm really trying to get some iron nuggets because I need maybe like five more iron nuggets so that I can get a shop on my island. But so far I've visited like three remote islands like locally because I don't have online play. And I've already invited uh, three little animals to come live on my island. Oh. Yeah. Why aren't you playing online? I don't have a subscription. Oh, you have to pay? I think so. Um, I didn't delve into it too much. Yeah. I just assumed because like on PlayStation, you have to do that. Yeah. Um, I just assumed and I didn't read through it because I was too excited about installing, like setting everything up and playing all the games immediately. Right on. My friend Leon gathered some offerings for me and put it on my desk in an altar-like manner upon my uh return to work oh. <laughs> so that was really exciting I, I saw it and i was like oh my god these are so cool like oreos and like little toys and stuff and so i started working and then 30 minutes later i realized that that wasn't like a a card that said my name on it like a cutout like just one sheet of cardboard that said my name on it it was actually a card an envelope oh, with a card great. in it and i'm like i'm an idiot <laughs> so i was like oh this is a card <laughs> let me open it and he got all these people from work to sign it for me and to wish me happy birthday oh didn't tell me a thing about it and it was like a complete surprise oh that's and really sweet i'm just like what a fucking cool guy man <laughs> what a fucking cool guy right on well nobody did that for me it's not your birthday yet. <laughs> I also haven't gone back to work yet. <laughs> I just keep walking in here and. Oh, we almost fucking forgot, man. Oh, it's the one year anniversary yes. of Weekly Creep. Yeah, shit. Oh, see how we think alike. Oh my god, I forgot to talk about uh, when we were on the boat. Uh, you had got on the boat first, and I sort of lingered. And I didn't see where you sat, but I heard you call my name and I turned around and I was like, oh, there he is. So I went to sat, sit down next to you and I'm like, oh, you called me to come over here. He's like, no, I didn't. Oh, You're... yeah, that was weird. Yeah, I specifically heard you call my name from that direction. Yeah. And that's why I turned in that direction because I heard you <laughs> coming from there. Yeah. That and then I'm weird. like, did you say anything? He's like, no, but I thought it. Yeah, because the rest of the family were sitting on the other side, but I had the heavy cooler. Yeah. And I was just trying to get out of the way, so I sat in the first place. Yeah, on the opposite side. Yeah. Weird. Very. So one year of weekly creep, and we're starting to communicate. Telepathically. Yeah. Yeah, like right now, I was like, you know what it is, right? And you're like, oh, yeah, anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd only mentioned it to you once. Like, you didn't even realize that this episode was going to be yeah. our anniversary episode. Well, I hope we've improved. I ho I have loosened up a lot. Yeah, I mean, once I went back to listen to the first episode and I just thought, how have we got any new listeners? Like, this is <laughs> like I've actually debated taking like the first 
10 episodes off the playlist. Yeah. Because I, they're so, like, embarrassingly rusty. And I, 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 I propose the idea of us, I guess, sort of reacting to those videos. Episodes. Oh, sorry. Episodes on air. Uh, maybe it could be like a Patreon thing. Maybe, but to be honest, it's just so cringy. I don't even know if I want to. I think so that we don't have to do the whole thing. We could just cut out our favorite cringeworthy bits and re-listen to it. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. Um, we can expose our bits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and speaking of Patreon, actually, those made a good point. We only have a five and a ten dollar tier. And at the time, I can't remember why we did it that way. We thought that, we thought that was like an average. Yeah, maybe. But uh, either way, but we're going to, mm-hmm. by the time this comes out, we're going to have a $2 tier. Yeah. And basically, the only difference is with the $5 tier, you will get the weekly creep postcard and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like physical stuff from us. Like we, we're going to give stickers out to the 5 and $10 tier uh, in the very near future. With the $2 stuff, you get all the bonus content that you want. And, you know, that's about it. Like, it's, it'll be explained on the Patreon page, so it'll do a better job than me once I actually sit down and type it all out. And if you're a member of the 5 or $10 uh, tier and you want to jump down to the $2 tier, don't worry. We totally understand. We've literally spent the last two months canceling subscriptions to various things that we don't use as much as we thought or as much as we once did but we're just trying to save money yeah so we completely understand and don't worry about it yeah <laughs> like but hopefully this this um brings new patrons yeah because honestly a lot of the stuff that we put on there i laugh at when i'm while i'm editing and stuff like that <laughs> so i would like more people to see it mm-hmm. um so anyway there's another option for you and i feel like this intro is going on Although it's not, it's only eight minutes in. I'm gonna cut out a lot of that. No, we're we're just um giving just, updates. Yeah. What else is there? Oh, actually, yeah, I'm gonna mention it on at the start of the video or the start of this episode as well. Make sure to go check out Adam and Dulce on YouTube. Oh yeah. Um, we have vlog. Yeah, separate from our weekly creep channel. Go check it out. It's just basically home videos, but again, the people who have watched them, like thirty or forty people, maybe have all seemed to enjoy them and had a little laugh so go check it out if you're interested at all if you're not interested just go subscribe and like all the videos yeah (laughs) and then go about your day yeah and before we get started on this story our patron of the week this week is brianna thank you brianna we love you dearly thank you brianna and yeah let's get straight into it after six or seven minutes of talking shit So. Tom Waits, Mark Twain, Bob Dylan, Paddy Smith, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Iggy Pop, Alice Cooper, D.D. Ramone, Leonard Cohen, Stanley Kubrick, and probably most infamously Sid Vicious and Nancy Spungen are just a handful of famous names that have stayed at this legendary hotel in Manhattan. I was going to say have two legs. <laughs> That's what they all have in common, yes. <laughs> We are indeed talking about the legendary Chelsea Hotel, or 
Hotel Chelsea. I never heard of it. Or just the Chelsea. <laughs> so. Where is it? In Manhattan, New York. Okay. Yeah. Built between 1883 and 1885. Located at 222 West 23rd Street between 7th and 8th Avenues. When I was writing that out, I felt like uh, I just finished reading Harry Potter 1 again, by the way. But I felt like that was instructions for like Diagon Alley or something. Like between <laughs> 7th and 8th Avenues in the neighborhood of Chelsea. When it was first constructed, it was the tallest building in New York. It is a national landmark and has been on the National Register of Historic Places since 1977. Hmm. Let's see what it looks like. It looks really cool, honestly. But this is one of those like super old school, I think they're called co-op hotels. Mm-hmm. So when it was initially built, some of the rooms, well still, some of the rooms were actually rented out like to long-term residents. They were full-on apartments, mm-hmm. while other rooms were just boarding rooms or regular hotel rooms. If you can hear any strange noise in the background, it's actually Porkchop cleaning herself loudly. Can, can you hear her? I can hear her on the, through the headphones. I don't know whether the noise cancelling thing will. The other day I was asking Adam if if he thinks maybe um, she cleans certain parts of herself on certain days or like, like maybe routinely. She, like- yeah, like or maybe she does one half of her body one day and the next half, the other half the next day. That way she's in like a constant rotation or if she even thinks that way. Yeah, I don't know. I think she just makes like her pause. Or maybe it's like an instinct thing. Like maybe, it's, you know, like you ever go without, like, say you're working and then like you walk away and like you feel your hands are gross. Yeah. But they look the same. You just feel like they're gross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's thing. what it is. She just feels grubby. She starts cleaning. Hmm. Anyway, so some of the hotel was long term residence. Some was um, regular hotel rooms. But currently, um, when I say currently, I mean, at least as of 2011. Because the hotel went under major renovations in 2011. Mm -hmm. And so that kicked up a lot of dust in terms of like articles and stuff being written about it. So. Oh, wow. It's pretty. Yeah, it's really nice. And at that time, a lot of these residents that were living there long term were protected by rent control laws. Mm, Cool. Which in Manhattan is like fucking. A godsend. Yeah, absolute gold dust. Mm-hmm. This one guy mentioned that he was paying $1,100 a month for an apartment in the Chelsea mm. in 2011. That's wild. That's insane. You would never hear of that. Yeah, literally now I think he paid $2,000 for like a half of a studio apartment. Oh, I thought you were going to say like the light bill. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> anyway, I don't think that this has helped the hotel really though in terms of keeping it running. They do say that for a long time the person running the hotel worked with artists who were living there and basically he could kind of had an eye for talent himself mm-hmm. and some of the artists might give him a painting or a piece of art that they've made in return for living there interesting long term but guests like just regular old guests were typically really wealthy people mm-hmm. and he, they would be overcharged so much to compensate for the uh, long term interesting but either way the hotel has been bankrupted and sold like four or five times throughout the last almost 130 years right Mm. and like i said in 2011 was the last time it was sold it was purchased at that time as a Mm fixer-upper by a real estate developer for the handsome sum of 80 million dollars whoa yeah 
and the estimates for the work they were going to do was mm-hmm. 40 million just to get it up to like code basically That's wild. yeah oh insane and in the meantime it had been like a drug den and you know what i mean it has gone from super high highs to super low lows and everything in between yeah so the place was a haven for artists since around the 1950s when prices fell after world war ii so it became a more everyman hotel like it had lost some of its i guess high society feel pizzazz yeah but like i said it's also been a haven for pimps prostitutes drug addicts and the super rich who I'm assuming we're only staying there because they were, it was their way of trying to buy like a genuine human experience. You know what I mean? Like the, the Chelsea Hotel had such a name for like rich artistic history uh-huh. that I think that's why these super wealthy, usually what was mentioned was wealthy children mm. would come and st- stay there because it was super hip and happening. And I see. Like you might bump into Leonard Cohen or, yeah. you know, anybody like it was mm-hmm. just a fucking who's who. Or you might end up addicted to heroin and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just roll the dice. Yeah, (laughs) basically. So one former long-term resident called it, quote, a constantly changing cast of residents, an incredible cross-pollination of people of all ages, social classes and levels of accomplishment. Was this guy a fucking author? He was a playwright. Wow. Or or a, a theatrical director, maybe one of them. Called it. Yeah, but when cross I, pollination. Yeah, like that's why I had to include it. I was like, this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you fucking nailed it, man. <laughs> and one current resident, again current as of 2011 at least, said, "Quote: The first time I came to the Chelsea, I was invited to New York to perform at La Mama in 1968. I remember the first floor was only prostitutes and pimps. One pimp had pink shoes." The same person also said anything could happen in the elevator. It was either Janis Joplin or the big woman from the Mamas and the Papas who tried to kiss me in the elevator. I can't remember which. It was a crazy time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like they're completely different looking ladies. Yeah, I know, right? And like this lady as well, at the time of writing that must have been like in her 70s. Mm. So I don't like hopefully she still lives there. Hopefully she's still healthy. But I was just like that lady must have so many stories. Love that. And I actually spent a lot of time when I was like trying to research the ghost part of this. Mm-hmm. I was just reading random things. Like one guy spoke about one time this lady on the fifth floor lit her apartment on fire. An elderly Whoa. lady. And he woke up to the fire alarm, freaked out because apparently there had been a major disaster in Japan like that week or the week before where a load of people had died in a high rise fire. Mm-hmm. So he woke up, ran outside locked himself out of his apartment realized he was naked oh and his the neighbor across the way was he was like do you have any pants she's like no you can use my phone so he calls reception and he's like i need the spare key and reception's like the hotel is on fire (laughs) so he ended up putting on a skirt going downstairs and by the time i think the fire was on the fifth floor and they were on the eighth floor or something like this either way he had gotten down to a point where everybody was just gathered the firemen had localized the fire, mm-hmm. managed to put it out. So he's just standing there in his neighbor's skirt, <laughs> passing a bottle of wine ab- among like all the residents and joints and all going around. And then they see the firemen carry this lady out. Oh, They didn't know whether she was dead or alive. He said that the whole party just went silent. 
and then the elevator eventually came. He said it was like the slowest elevator wait in the world. Eventually, the lady was carried on, dead or alive, still unknown. And then the party continued. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, like that, those kind of stories. And that's not even from the famous people, you know what I mean? And that firefighter was like, check out this skirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I could think of was because they were all standing on the top of the stairs. So anybody who looked up was just going to see this guy's junk. <laughs> this guy's grundle. Yeah. <laughs> so... Naturally, a building like this has seen its fair share of events and emotions through its 130 years, almost, of business. And it is said to be the second most haunted building in New York City. Which is the first? The number one spot being taken by the New York Public Library. What? And I'm almost sure we were messaging with someone. One of our listeners reached out recently and I tried to find the message in our inbox, but I can't. But I think we have a listener who currently works in the New York Public Library. That's literally the only reason I'd be willing to go to New York. Well, I fucking love New York, but I also love New Orleans. I just love dirty cities like that. Mm-hmm. I love that smell of cooking garbage in the summer. <laughs> but anyway, if you're listening to this, because I know that they were worried about sending stories from where they work. And I might be wrong. Maybe it was another public library, but mm-hmm. I'm almost sure. It was New York. Um, but yeah, send us your anonymous stories. Yeah. We won't tell who you are. Don't worry. We'll just say a library. Yeah. <laughs> According to years of mediums and first-hand encounters, the ghosts of the hotel are as follows. Nadia, also known as the severed hand ghost. Is it just a hand? That's what I thought as well. But no, it's like, uh, what's it called? It? From our thing, from the it's the it, yeah thing thing. No, it's not because it's thing one and thing two. No, but there also is a thing one and thing two. That is Doctor Seuss. Oh, okay. So according to a 1922 New York Times article, yeah, it's called Thing. It is. Oh, yeah. my bad, my bad. Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so according to a 1922 New York Times article. A woman took her own life by jumping out of one of the hotel windows onto the street below. The story goes that Nadia was the daughter of a wealthy silk merchant and grew up in the hotel. She was an artist, but she fell in love with a, quote, handsome and rogue dandy songwriter. Mm. Not quite sure what that means. Sounds like a slick dude. Yeah, maybe. Like oily. (laughs) (laughs) But either way, The two fell in love and ran away and got married while they were still teenagers. Oh, okay. She soon had two children and her husband soon became a raging alcoholic and he wasn't bringing any money home. Mm. Eventually, Nadia was forced to go back to the Chelsea and basically beg her father to let her move back in along with her two young kids. The dad, who was still pretty salty that she had run off in the first place, kind of an I told you so. He said that she could move back in on the condition that she do all of the housework and cleaning, which included hand washing her incontinent mother's clothes and bedclothes. So this was a constant stream of laundry Mm -hmm. that she was doing by hand. She also had to do her own sewing, like as in her own sewing jobs Mm -hmm. in the house. So she would get other people's clothes and repair them so she could contribute to the household income. Okay. 
basically he said, yeah, you can live here, but I'm going to make you fucking pay for it. Mm-hmm. And he didn't need the money, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like, but anyway, this was the lesson that she needed to be, that she needed to learn according to the dad. Nadia still had dreams of being an artist and she would try and make time to create, but she literally couldn't get a minute. Her hands, which were her tools for creating, were becoming more and more haggard from the constant cleaning and working. And one night, she stuck her hand in a huge industrial scissors, which was used for cutting big strips of cloth. I don't know what her reasoning behind this was. She was obviously in a deep, depressive state or Mm -hmm. episode. But it seems that once she felt the pain and realized what she's done, she then went and took her life by jumping out the window. Mm-hmm. Just super tragic. That is. Now, it's said on moonless nights, you can still see Nadia outside the windows of the upper floors, long hair and white gown blowing in the breeze as she desperately tries to get back inside. Oh. So it's like she changed her mind when she saw the height. Mm-hmm. She changed her mind when it was already too late from mm-hmm. cutting her fucking hand off. Now, I was lucky enough... I. Because, again, all these ghost stories, I always take them with a pinch of salt. I love the stories, mm-hmm. but I don't always believe it 100%. But yeah. I did come across the article oh. from 1922. And basically everything checked out, except for the name Nadia. Weird. I don't know where that name came from. Probably one of these random mediums that had been mm-hmm. in and out of the hotel over the years. But the actual name of this poor, unfortunate person was Etelka Graf. Mm. An odd name, but it was mentioned in the article her dad was a wealthy silk merchant or something like that. Mm, silk's big money. Yeah, especially back then, right? So anyway, that had full credence as far as I was concerned. Like, yeah, shit. Just let's call her Atelka from now on. Okay. Instead of Nadia. Michael Imperioli was another famous guest of the Chelsea. Sounds like a pasta. <laughs> <laughs> That, that is racist. That is going to get us taken off air. Uh-oh. But he did play... Imperiellos. <laughs> Imperiellos. <laughs> Imperiello pasta. But if Michael Imperioli rings a bell with anybody, it's because he played Christopher Maltesanti in The Sopranos. He was Tony's... He called him a nephew, but he wasn't actually a nephew. He was like a young cousin or something like that. Anyway, he was, he was a big deal in The Sopranos. But in like 1996, before he was famous, he was like a struggling actor. He had just gone through a breakup and decided to check into the Chelsea for a while. Mm. In his own words, he's like, the Chelsea's just the place you go after a breakup. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Michael said that while he stayed there, he stayed there for like two months or just over two months. But his neighbors included drug addicts, pornographers and dominatrixes. Whoa. As well as an abundance of trying, failing actors and any other type of artist you can think of. Mm-hmm. He got talking to some of the other residents and he told them that he was staying on the eighth floor. And they asked him, had he met Mary yet? He said no. And he said that the question just felt kind of loaded, like they were kind of playing a prank on him or something like that. Mm-hmm. So he assumed it was just another like character from the building. Yeah. But figured he'd know her once they eventually did cross paths. About a month later, Michael was coming home very late one evening. He gets out of the elevator on the eighth floor 
and notices straight away that there's something wrong with the hallway light. Like, it's a lot dimmer than usual. Then, as he's about to put his key in the door, he hears a woman crying from way down at the other end of the hallway. He turns and looks, and he sees this lady hunched over under an archway, wearing a very long black dress. He said the dress didn't look like a modern dress. It looked like something that people would have wore, worn around 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. But this didn't strike him as weird because the hotel is full of costume designers and actors yeah, and yeah. just strange people. So he was like, oh, okay, like whatever. So he asked her was she okay or if she needed help. And as soon as he did, there was a loud pop from behind him. He turned to see that the light bulb had just gone out. Mm-hmm. But again, he was like, oh, fuck's sake, like what are the odds? Turns back around, the woman is gone. He figured she just wanted to be left alone or maybe she got a fright from the light bulb going out and went on into her room. So he was just like, all right, fuck it, and went to bed. That and was she it. she ghosted him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so about a week later, he's hanging around with the other residents again. And he says, oh, I bumped into that Mary lady you were talking about with the black dress and all. Like she was all dressed up and shit. What's her deal? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The person he was with went on to tell him that Mary had been a guest at the hotel. Back in 1912. Whoa. I love it when you drop a bomb like that. (laughs) Mary was from Buffalo and had recently married. Her husband and his brother had gone back to England to collect some family inheritance they had been left. Now, obviously, back then, that wasn't just a six-hour flight or whatever. That was like a long old trip. A voyage. Yeah. So Mary decided to go to New York and check into the hotel as a surprise so she could go down and surprise him at the docks. And, you know, it was all very romantic and blah, blah, blah. This was in April 1912. Have you any idea what else happened in April 1912? Is that the Titanic? On the 10th of April 1912, the Titanic set sail on its maiden voyage. It sank on the 15th. Mary's husband and brother-in-law were passengers and they did not survive. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Bravo. Bravo. Thank you. (laughs) When Mary found out what had happened, she went back to the Chelsea and, and hung herself in her room. Uh. The fact that Mary was a ghost hadn't even crossed Michael Imperioli's mind. Mm-hmm. He just assumed that she was a living, breathing person. After his friend told him the story, three or four other people that night confirmed that they had all seen her in the same place, doing the same thing. Michael moved out that week. <laughs> <laughs> He said his blood just ran cold. Yeah. But he also said that in hindsight, like now that he thinks back on it, he said that the crying, that the crying, this sound that was coming from her wasn't actually coming out of her mouth, but just seemed to be emanating from her. Weird. Like he said, it was just there. This noise. Yeah. And also the archway she appears on there was also once the entrance to the original room that was there, mm-hmm. the original apartment, I guess, or... Maybe the room was just grander back in the day. So that's why people keep seeing her in the same spot. Mm. Now, some versions of Mary's story say that she was actually a survivor of the Titanic and that she had lost her husband. Slight variations of the story, but all have the same conclusion. I just went with Michael Imperioli's retelling because he's a cool guy. (laughs) (laughs) We like cool guys. Yeah, we do like cool guys. 
People have also reported seeing her on the fifth floor, checking herself out in a mirror that's no longer there, and not wanting to be bothered by the living. But I think that this is actually two separate sightings that have just somehow been like meshed together. Maybe the two spirits look alike, mm-hmm. but either way, I feel like it's two separate stories. I feel like Mary is on the eighth floor, and this other person looking in the mirror, also known as the vain ghost or something, is a separate being altogether, but people just get them confused. Throughout the hotel's history, there has been an enormous amount of deaths, murders, and suicides. Maybe this number is fairly common, like for a hotel as old as the Chelsea. But there has been overdoses, hangings, people jumping, people shooting themselves, natural deaths, people beaten to death. And most famously, on October 12th, 1978, Nancy Spungen was stabbed to death on the bathroom floor of room 100. Nobody knows exactly what went down, but Sid Vicious, her boyfriend, was and probably still is suspect number one. He claimed he was blacked out and had no recollection of what went on. He just woke up and found her after bleeding out on the bathroom floor. It's a hugely speculated case because there were so many people coming and going from the hotel that somebody reported seeing an unidentified man leaving the room with a knife, but nobody really knows if that's even true, if this man even existed. And Sid Vicious literally said he did it while they were arguing, but then later retracted this statement. Mm -hmm. It's, it's all a big mess, and I don't want to go into it right now. But like I said on our previous episode about Rockstar Ghosts, and I don't want to repeat myself too much, but Sid is said to still be there and seems to be one of the main attractions of why spooky people like to go to the hotel and check it out. It's said he's been seen looking agitated around the elevator on the first floor, while other guests have heard loud music and a couple arguing in room 100 when it's supposed to be empty. Mm-hmm. And there's also a handful of other little encounters with somebody who may or may not be Sid Vicious in the afterlife. But check out the other episode because I can't remember how much detail or not I went into with that. And I don't want to just repeat myself. Yeah. Canadian author Sparkle Hater or Heiter. I don't know how to pronounce this woman's name. What a name. Yeah. She says she once occupied a third floor room that had been previously lived in by a drug dealer who was into bestial porn bestial porn oh gross yeah animal porn and had wanted oh and had been wanted by the police for imprisoning a woman there the couple who moved in after this man were known for their violent domestic squabbles this backstory informs haters testimony that when she was away on book tours and her apartment was empty the neighbors from her floor could hear typing going on inside she also said quote I often saw the shadow of a crouched woman in the corner of my room late at night and heard weeping. When I walked towards it, she disappeared. That's terrifying. Absolutely. She walked towards it. Yeah, like so many people that have given their own experiences in this mm-hmm. are like, yeah, I went to see what was going on. It's like, why? <laughs> it's clearly a fucking <laughs> ghost. Like, get Northern the fuck out of there. are brave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's that New York no bullshit attitude. Yeah. And then I was like, get the fuck out of my room. Yeah. Hey, forget about it. What? Are you paying rent? I've seen rats bigger than you. <laughs> you fucking rat. <laughs> so, 
with all this being said, the people who have to deal with most of the paranormal goings on are the night security staff. People are constantly calling down in the middle of the night because they've seen or felt something weird and they need to change rooms straight away. So obviously it's up to the night security to Mm -hmm. organize, see what rooms are available. And according to one resident, a night security man told him of a girl called Victoria who died of AIDS while living in the hotel. Victoria styled herself after Betty Boop. Nice. One night, a little while after her death, the security guard got a call from the guest who was now occupying Victoria's old room, saying they needed a new room because they saw Victoria in their mirror. Oh. Complete with Betty Boop bangs. Wow. Yeah. So I can only imagine the conversation was like, I just saw Betty Boop in my mirror. I need to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Author Shelley Tippins wrote a book about the hotel called Inside the Dream Palace. And as part of her research, she decided that she was going to bring a medium to the hotel and spend like four nights in the same room together. Why not a large? Ha ha ha. (laughs) Jesus Christ. See what I'm trying to put up with here? (laughs) So Tippins wanted to tell the story of the dead as much as the living. That was kind of her attitude going into this place. And she had heard so many bits of ghost stories that she was like, fuck it. Like, let's go and actually like face this shit head on, see what we come out with. The medium claimed that ghosts literally filled the lobby. Right. Every waking moment that lobby is filled with ghosts literally trying to tell anyone their story oh wow because again these people aren't just well some of them are just regular people but the majority are like anguished artists who Mm -hmm. died young maybe or never made it like their dreams were crushed or you know what i mean they Mm -hmm. all have something that they need to share Mm -hmm. she also said that they're crammed into the elevator just going up and down Again, just waiting for someone who can see them, basically. And they also filled the room at night. They came crowding in every night that they stayed there. They seemed to know that Tippins was an author and that the friend was a medium. Whoa. And they knew, like, this is our chance. Like, we need to tell them our story. But every night, there was one particular spirit who was so loud that he drowned out all the other spirits. He would force his way to the front. And he looked like he was from the 1960s by the way he was dressed. Quote, his name was Larry, he said. And he wanted me to know that the point of this story was not the art that was made at the Chelsea, but rather the life that was lived there. Quote, it's not about the art, man. It's about the life. <laughs> all right. He is affectionately known as Larry the Hipster. Oh, love it. Yeah, and Larry himself has some crazy theories about the Chelsea. What? Yeah, like, I didn't go to I couldn't. Like, oh, I had to stop myself. I need myself. this fucking book. Oh, yeah, like, I think it, it's bound to be a, an interesting book. But the one theory that I briefly read was, according to Larry, reality is only inside the Chelsea. Everything else? It's just a simulation, man. What? Yeah. But to me, it literally sounds like... Um, Hotel California in reverse. I was actually going to go for American Horror Story the first season. Murder House? Yeah. You know, like they're all stuck in this building. Well, that's kind of like Hotel. 
Oh, I don't know. I never made like it if you far. if you die in the hotel, you're trapped there, just like Murder House. Okay, well, yeah, same fucking idea, basically. Mm-hmm. But so to Larry, that's exactly how his life is now, and he just wants to tell the story of like the energy of the hotel. Wow. He also told um the medium. He told her something happened on the grounds, like long before the hotel was built, mm-hmm. and. In terms of, like, time, I don't know how long ago he was talking about, but the author did say sometime in the 1800s, the building that had originally stood there burnt to the ground and a lot of people died. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's where the energy is coming from. Who fucking knows? Like I said, it's too weird. Larry also advised the author to walk the entire hotel with the medium from basement to rooftop. And along the way, she encountered many different spirits, including a, quote, gray eminence. That others have called the Chelsea's Grey Man. Now, that's literally all that she said in this. But who else is known as the Grey Man? Albert Fish. Yes. Thank Albert- you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is the neighborhood where Albert Fish picked up Grace Bud. No shit. His young victim, yeah. I just thought that that was too much of an interesting tidbit to leave out. Like, oh, yeah. Just the fact that that name i'm not saying it's him i couldn't find any record like of him staying there or anything mm-hmm. but i just thought man that's fucking spooky yeah <laughs> <laughs> like talk about larry and his theories yeah. i was like no fucking way anyway a handful of the other ghostly reports i read include quote a depression era urchin who kicked a woman in the shins and then vanished what the fuck that's so as it urchin as in like a young kid oh yeah like a street urchin okay <laughs> not like, <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah not a sea creature okay i mean because you're throwing like some crazy shit at me <laughs> and then you're like you know a spiky fish thing <laughs> <laughs> the spiky football now, um, as well as the depression era urchin a floating disembodied clown head that might have been dylan thomas an author who died in the hotel in 1955, who seems to be one of the most esteemed guests. In my ignorance, I don't know who he is. He's, I'm sure he's very famous. Yeah, I never heard of him. As well as hypnotic voices luring a passerby to enter a, quote, womb-like purple room. Womb-like? Womb-like, yeah. I wonder if my womb is purple. I don't know. Random apparitions as well appearing in people's rooms. Like, there were so many one-off experiences that, like we were saying in the Patreon episode, I couldn't just add them all in because a lot of them were like, guy showed up, fucking weird, and he was gone. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it was like, they might have lived there 15 years, and that was the, they just Only woke thing. up one night, and there was some dude in the kitchen. Yeah. And that was it. There's an old-fashioned woman near the ice machine, reeking of patchouli and sobbing about her beloved fucking love patchouli what is patchouli i don't know what it is specifically but like you know how, the smell i know the smell okay yeah oh it's a plant patchouli is a plant okay cool an energy that handed a guest a glow-in-the-dark frisbee in room 915 wait run that by me one more time yep just an energy that handed a guest a glow-in-the-dark frisbee in room 915 what? and all of these random little things among with the usual Lights turning on and off by themselves, faucets going on and off, bathroom doors slamming shut and opening up in the middle of the night, 
mm-hmm. guests are just like woken up to this purple wombs yeah <laughs> <laughs> temperature drops it like random occasions particularly in room 100 they said like really localized temperature drops in that room which they attribute to sid and anti vicious mm-hmm. or sid vicious and anti-spongin vague feelings of fear and sadness and quote a chill at various spots in the hotel there was one other account that had a picture to it and if you google this picture i'm I'll probably post it on the Instagram. I literally saw nothing. But it's just Google like ghost picture Chelsea Hotel and it'll come up. They claim that they saw a skeleton (laughs) in the closet. Literally a skeleton in the closet. Yeah. I wasn't buying it, so I didn't include it as a, a main thing. But yeah, so that's the Chelsea Hotel. And like I said, there's multiple books written just about the ghosts in this place. And so, so it's a super, super interesting, even aside from the paranormal, like I would fucking love to go there yeah. and just sit there and be like, damn, Tom Waits and Bob Dylan, Leonard Cohen, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. all these people. Yeah. Like Leonard Cohen literally wrote a poem about getting a blowjob from Janis Joplin in one of the rooms at the Chelsea. Really? Yeah. So it's just. Oh, is it in that book? I think it might be in the book that I just got. Dulce just got me a book of leonard cohen poetry i haven't read it yet because my eight-year-old self was reading harry potter again <laughs> i'll get to the leonard cohen poetry eventually but yeah do yourselves a favor and check this stuff out it's just like too out of this world to not be like what and i would love to know more about the whole larry theories mm-hmm. but i'm afraid that my brain just can't fucking handle it yeah <laughs> Like, what if we are all in a simulation? What if the world comes from the Chelsea Hotel? Well, whenever I hear the simulation... It's like, too real. I don't like it. Like, <laughs> I, I remember those videos that we saw in Nuke's Top 5, where, like, things in the air kind of just stop moving that are in mid-flight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's too fucking weird. Yeah, like birds and airplanes that were, like... Like, that airplane that was just frozen in the in the air, like, right above a... A freeway bridge it was like close enough that you can tell what it was yeah uh like real clear and it was just suspended in the air yeah and on a potato cam fucking like a phone video you yeah. know like a flip phone video type thing yeah i just can't deal with it and then that bird that was flying there and then just stopped and then it, like a video game and then it unfroze itself yeah so anyway, my sources this week were Vanity Fair, Wikipedia, ChelseaCommunityNews.com, GNRCentral.com, which is a Guns N' Roses website, oh. BookRiot.com, and the TV show Celebrity Ghost Stories, mm. where I saw Michael Imperioli. That's, to be honest, I haven't watched Ghost Adventures or anything like that in a long, long time, but I have been jumping in and out of Celebrity Ghost Stories, mm-hmm. particularly if I see a thumbnail with somebody I know. Like the drummer from Guns N' Roses or Michael Imperioli. So yeah, your turn. I feel like I just vomited all that story out, but I was so invested in it as I was reading. Like every time I opened a new article, I was like, oh my God. And then I had to remind myself like that. If you want to know more just about like random encounters at the hotel, look up the Vanity Fair article. Because that was just people who lived there talking shit about 
or the people that live there yeah. basically that was really fun all right y'all so we're gonna kick it back to my disney stories yay because you guys seem to like them these are your last ones right yep these are the last ones and there will be no more all right we were trying to save these for a rainy day but we just kept falling behind because of a lazy <laughs> vacation. <laughs> so it came out a little bit out of order, but we've had a Disney episode, I think, every week for the last... Because we have my Disney hauntings as well. Last oh, week. shit. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I think we're like this one big ad for Disney. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I- I'd say we we deserved that break, seeing as we haven't taken one in a whole year. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> that was our yearly vacation. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to kick it off with... Sleeping Beauty, bitch. Okay, yeah, this honestly, the Sleeping Beauty story freaks me out. Okay, so the tale was first published by Giambattista Basile in his collection of tales titled The Pentamarone. In Giambattista Basile's version of Sleeping Beauty, titled Sun, Moon, and Talia, the Sleeping Beauty is named Talia. By asking wise men and astrologers to predict her future after her birth, her father, who is a great lord, learns that Talia will be in danger from a splinter of flax. The splinter later causes what appears to be Talia's death. However, it is later learned that it's just a very long, deep sleep. Of course, you'd mistake that as death. Yeah. I mean, they call it the long sleep. The long sleep. (laughs) After Talia falls into a deep sleep, she is seated on a velvet throne and her father, to forget his misery of what he thinks is her death, closes the doors and abandons the house forever. One day, while a king is walking by, one of his falcons flies into the house. The king knocks, hoping to be let in by someone, but no one answers and he decides to climb in with the ladder. He finds Talia alive but unconscious and, quote, gathers the first fruits of love end quote uh yeah have we even done that together (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't think we've we've uh gotten to that we haven't gotten to the fruit basket base (laughs) (laughs) afterwards he leaves her in the bed and goes back to his kingdom though talia is unconscious she gives birth to twins one of whom keeps sucking her fingers I guess because they suckle. Yeah. Talia awakens because the twin has sucked out the flax from her finger. This flax was causing her to stay asleep. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, sorry. Did did I read that weird earlier? Maybe. I don't know. One day, the king decides, the king who gathered her fruits, decides he wants to go see Talia again. He goes back to the palace finds her awake, and a mother to his twins. He informs her of who he is, what happened, and they end up bonding. See, I just don't see that happening. Neither do I, but I guess this is why it's a fairy tale. Okay. After a few days, the king has to leave to go back to his realm, but promises Talia that he will return to take her to his kingdom. A tale as old as time. I'm just going down for cigarettes. I'll be, I'll be right back. Just yeah. wait there. Okay. When he arrives back to his kingdom, his wife hears him saying, Talia, sun and moon, in his sleep. 
A tale as old as time. It's the man stepping out of his marriage. Yeah. She bribes and threatens the king's secretary to tell her what's going on. After the queen learns the truth, she pretends she's the king and writes to Talia, asking her to send the twins because he wants to see them. Talia sends her twins to the king, quote, king. Yeah. And the queen tells the cook to kill the twins and make dishes out of them. She wants to feed the king his children. Instead, the cook takes the twins to his wife and hides them. He then cooks two lambs and serves them as if they were the twins. Every time the king mentions how good the food is, the queen replies, Eat, eat, you are eating of your own. Later, the queen invites Talia to the kingdom and is going to burn her alive. Do you think when, like, as the king was eating this lamb, he's like, God, this lamb is so good. And the queen just kept saying, you're eating your own. He's like, okay, you cryptic bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's probably used to her crazy because she's clearly crazy. Clearly crazy, but maybe it's deserved if he's going around sleeping with sleeping women. I wouldn't kill someone's children. Like if you stepped out, rock and roll though. If you stepped out on me and got someone <laughs> pregnant, I'm not going to ch- kill that child. Different times. I guess. <laughs> Anyways, later the ki- the queen invites Talia to the kingdom and is going to burn her alive. But the king appears and finds out what's going on with his children and Talia. He then orders that his wife be burned along with those who betrayed him. You know, those that are, like, going along with her. Yeah. Since the cook actually did not obey the queen, the king thanks the cook for saving his children by giving him rewards. The story ends with the king marrying Talia and living happily ever after. But what about Talia? Did she live happily ever after? That is, I mean... That's a gross story. I think that might be my least favorite one so far. <laughs> that just made my skin itchy or something. <laughs> I think you just need a shower. Yeah, after hearing that story. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about Pinocchio. Or The Adventures of Pinocchio. By Italian writer Carlo Coyote of Florence, Tuscany. So, upon being born... Pinocchio laughs derisively in his creator's face, whereupon he steals the old man's wig, Geppetto's wig. So he is born? An an asshole. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just so we're clear. Yeah. Like, I feel like the movie is kind of just, like, watered down his... Mischievousness? They watered his assholishness down to mischievousness. Okay, okay. You know? Also, actually, real quick, I've never seen the Sleeping Beauty movie, I don't think. Oh, I've seen it. Did she get pregnant in that? I I don't think so. I hope not. Okay. Pinocchio's bad behavior, rather than being charming or endearing, is meant to serve as a warning. So this is a cautionary. Pinocchio is a cautionary tale. Okay. Coyote originally intended the story, which was first published in 81, to be a tragedy. 1881? 1881. Sorry, I'm just like, yeah, you know, back in 81. <laughs> so just to clarify, uh, he published a story in 81 to be a tragedy and another one in 83 because I think it was like a collection of his... Pinocchio's adventures. Yeah, yeah. So the one in 81, 
concluded with the puppet's execution. Pinocchio's enemies, the fox and the cat, bind his arms, pass a noose around his throat, and hang him from the branch of an oak tree. Fucking hell. Yeah. But he's still a puppet, right? Uh, I mean, he might have been a real boy at this point. <laughs> a tempestuous norther- northerly wind began to blow and roar angrily, and it beat the poor puppet from side to side. Ah, so he's a puppet. <laughs> Making him swing violently, like the clatter of a bell ringing for a wedding. And the swinging gave him atrocious spasms. His breath failed him, and he could say no more. He shut his eyes, opened his mouth, stretched his legs, gave a long shudder, and hung stiff and insensible. That is graphic. Yeah. So he died with a boner. (laughs) (laughs) Hey! (laughs) He hung stiff. (laughs) You could say he, he died with morning wood. Crickets. That's the sound of cricket. <laughs> Speaking of crickets, and another version. <laughs> yeah, that was intentional. This is scripted. <laughs> in another version, Pinocchio killed Jiminy Cricket for making him mad. Jiminy Cricket, being a glutton for punishment, comes to Pinocchio time and time again in order to lead him in the right direction morally. So, like, in the real story, Jiminy Cricket was not alive every time he appeared to Pinocchio. It was just a ghost of Jiminy Cricket. That's grim. Word. <laughs> ghost of a cricket. Yeah, imagine that. The last story, and probably the most, well, no, it's not the most disturbing, but it's... <sighs> the one that's stuck? Is this the nose? Are we going to find out about his nose? No, this is the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, oh sorry, okay. <laughs> Or Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Is that what I said? I don't know, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Notre Dame, probably how I'd say it. I'm thinking about it too much, though. So, originally called uh, Notre Dame de Paris. It's a French Gothic novel by Victor Hugo. It was published in 1831. Oh. The novel sought to preserve values of French culture in a time period of great change which resulted in the destruction of many French Gothic structures and threatened to trivialize the vibrancy of 15th century France. Interesting. Trivialize all that piss and shit running down the street. I guess. The novel made Notre Dame of Paris a national icon and served as a catalyst for renewed interest in the restoration of Gothic form. Interesting, right? Good. Yeah. And so then it, it lasted was, until like two years ago. It was written like I, I thought that was really interesting how it was like written to make a statement. Yeah, yeah. Especially back then when you would think all people are concerned about is the king sleeping with sleeping people. Mm. The story is set in Paris in 1482 during the reign of Louis XI. The beautiful 16 year old Romani Esmeralda, born as Agnes, yeah. is. <laughs> I guess Esmeralda sounded more exotic. Yeah. I mean, if I got to choose my own name. Yeah, I would go for Esmeralda too. So Esmeralda is the romantic and sexual interest of many men, including Captain Phoebus and Pierre Gringori, but especially 
Quasimodo, and his guardian, the archdeacon Claude Frollo. Frollo is torn between his obsessive lust for Esmeralda and the rules of Notre Dame Cathedral. All right, so hold on to your panties, y'all. <laughs> Frollo orders Quasimodo to capture Esmeralda, but Quasimodo is captured by Phoebus and his boys. Come along, boys. So they have Quasimodo yes. in order to save Esmeralda. Gringori shows up, tries to help Esmeralda, and gets knocked the fuck out by Quasimodo. And Phoebus is like, let's hang Quasimodo. But Esmeralda saves Quasimodo by agreeing to marry Phoebus for four years. Right. Okay. The following day, Quasimodo is sentenced to be flogged and turned on the pillory for two hours, followed by another hour's public exposure. He calls for water. Esmeralda, seeing his thirst, approaches the public stocks and offers him a drink of water. It saves him, and she captures his heart. So, I'm not sure, because, like, she saved him from Phoebus, but he ended up getting sentenced to be flogged anyway. Yeah, My, but not hung. But not hung, yeah. Okay. So later Esmeralda is arrested and charged with the attempted murder of Phoebus, whom Frollo attempted to kill in jealousy after seeing him trying to seduce Esmeralda. So Frollo is, is a piece of shit. Yeah. You know? So like he framed Esmeralda in a way of saying, well, if I can't have you, no one can. Of course. She is sentenced to death by hanging. As she is being led to the gallows, Quasimodo swings down by the bell rope of Notre Dame and carries her off to the cathedral, temporarily protecting her under the law of sanctuary from arrest. Frollo later informs Gringori that the Court of Parliament has voted to remove Esmeralda's right to the sanctuary so she can no longer seek shelter in the cathedral, and she will be taken away to be killed. Kloppen, the leader of the Roma... Kloppen? Yeah, Kloppen. Okay. That's the sound my butt makes when I fart. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Kloppen, the leader of the Roma, hears the news from Gringori and rallies the citizens of Paris to charge the cathedral and rescue Esmeralda. I think it's supposed to be the leader of the Romani. When Quasimodo sees Kloppen and his gang, <laughs> he assumes that they're there to hurt Esmeralda, so he drives them off. Likewise, he thinks the king's men want to rescue her and tries to help them find her. She is rescued by Frollo and Gringori, but after yet another failed attempt to win her love, Frollo betrays Esmeralda again by handing her to the troops and watches while she's being hanged. Wow. Yeah, so I'm telling you, this guy's fucking sick. Frollo, I mean. When Frollo laughs during Esmeralda's hanging, Quasimodo pushes him from the height of Notre Dame to his death. With nothing left to live for, Quasimodo vanishes and is never seen again. 
But in the original, Quasimodo's skeleton is found many years later in the Charnel house, which is a mass grave, into which the bodies of the destitute and criminals were indiscriminately thrown, implying that Quasimodo had actually sought Esmeralda among the decaying corpses and lay beside her, letting himself slowly die while holding her. As the guards attempted to pull the embracing skeletons apart, his skeleton crumbles to dust. How sad. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. Those are my stories. These ones skeeved me out. That's the right word, right? I'm using <laughs> yeah, that in the right I context. Guess. I guess. Okay, creeps. That is all. <laughs> Bye. now i hope you enjoyed this week's stories if you want more content make sure to check out our patreon if you want to join the two dollar five dollar ten dollar whatever one you like there's various different benefits to each one and make sure to check us out on youtube there's actually if even if you're not on patreon there's a few leaked patreon videos on our youtube if you want to go check that out the weekly creep youtube that is i guess we should clean that up and also there is our personal vlogs on our YouTube channel, Adam and Dulce. So just search Adam and Dulce and that's what comes up. Yeah. And yeah, I guess that's it. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on like Facebook and reach out to us. Actually, I also wanted to thank everybody who reached out to me from last week's episode where I was looking for that episode or where I had heard that story from mm. with the social work and the kid. Turns out it was spooked podcast um i had no recollection of ever listening to that but i guess it was about four years ago when it first came out that's where i heard it and so a number of people reached out and i really appreciated it yeah i guess that's about it for this week that's it for this week thanks everybody thanks everybody bye, bye.